0: Hello friends, it's Julie with Hef Sabah Talks A Lot. And I'm just going to throw this out there. I cannot, for the life of me, remember where I got that Vice um, monologue from. I will keep searching, but it will not be on this podcast. So even though I say at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned the Vice monologue, and then at the end, I say I'm going to do the Vice monologue As a segment before the Roman segment, nope, I can't find it. So I'm going to keep looking and once it comes back to me or I remember where I got it from, I will definitely record that and let you know where it's from. But I honestly can't find it. And I have tried searching. Usually I can find things pretty easily on the internet, but not that. And you got to realize I was in high school in 1990s, so trying to track something like that down, even in the recesses of my brain, um, not going to happen. But uh, I just wanted to let you all know, so when you listen to the other podcast, you're like, she never did a Vice monologue. Yeah, that's why. Couldn't find it. But if you find it, email me. um, podcast at uh, gmail.com. It's either from a book or a play. And it's about a man that finds a wallet and I believe he's an alcoholic, but I could be wrong. It could be gambling. I don't know, but he already has a vice. And so he's discussing with himself the fact that if he keeps the wallet, uh, that's the second vice. And he's basically encouraging people. I'm pretty sure it's a play. Encouraging people to only have one vice. And so all I remember is the monologue pretty much ends with Something like, and so my friends one vice at a time or something like that. And then he calls after the guy. But when I search one vice at a time, I get some random album, song album, and that like just dominates the search engine. So once again, if you know what I'm talking about, email me at htal.podcast at gmail.com because I'd really like to remember where that was from. All right. So stay tuned for a really long, although i planned it to be short, as usual, it should be the name of this podcast. I planned it to be short, <laughs> a podcast about Romans five and eight. All right. Cool beans. Hello everybody. It's Julie with Sabah talks a lot. I don't expect to go too long tonight, but I am expecting to read a pretty large portion of scripture. So that might make it run a little bit longer but uh, don't expect to talk too much, but we'll see. Um, So I've been trying to think about possible blogs. There's a few I want to do, but when I work on those blogs, I want them to uh, have uh, consistency and a flow, and I want to have actually laid out my plans. So those are a little bit on delay. I know I mentioned a few. One is the Samaritan woman. I'm really excited to talk about her. Um, I think I might do two different podcasts. One to just kind of give an overview about some of the the women in the Bible that I I think about. Um, There are way too many. I could literally do uh, tons and tons of podcasts if I wanted to talk about all the women in the Bible. Which might be something fun to do someday. But not for now. Um, But I'll I'll probably do a, a... podcast about the women that I I really that come to mind that I think about and um just some thoughts I have and then and then do the Samaritan woman piece. I can't guarantee it'll be in that order. I might do the Samaritan woman piece first and then and then do the other one, but I hope to do both of those. Uh I also want to talk about purity of course, but that's another podcast that would span a few podcasts and require a great deal of investment. Um, but there's a lot of podcasts that are just jumbling around in my brain, but I was thinking today about a few things. Um, one of the biggest things for me is, uh, feeling like I matter. Um, I was watching transformers three, I believe it is. Uh, let me say, I'm not a big fan of the first three. I I'm okay with them. I'm not going to say I don't like them. Um, I prefer the Mark Wahlberg ones. Uh, I think. Personally, I think those are the best ones, but, um, I still enjoy watching them from the beginning. Um, when I feel like doing such a thing and since my internet here in China is extremely slow, then I'm pretty much where I live now. I am limited to what I download. So, um, take from that what you will, but I was watching part three where, uh, he kept wanting to. Wikwiki, I don't remember what his first name is, but he was wanting to, um, matter again because, I mean, he got thrust into greatness, right? Like he just stumbled on it. Um, it wasn't like he was like this really standout kind of guy, but, um, he ended up getting an opportunity to be a hero and he faced his, the challenges and the fears and Death and all the superhero book movie stuff that happens and and help save the world with the Transformers. And, of course, uh, part two, same basic principle. He ends up um, getting, you know, all that stuff downloaded into his brain or whatever and having meltdowns in college or whatever. But he still chooses to stand up and do what must be done to save the world. So he had the two movies where he was called upon to either just stand aside or to, to do something. In the third movie, it's it's of of very dismissive of him. They're like, we can handle this without you. We're already used to the fact that Transformers and Decepticons exist, blah, 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 blah. This is my paraphrase, of course, not what's said in the movie. But at one point, he tells his girlfriend, as he's throwing them into danger and causing all this hoopla in their lives, <clears throat> he tells her, That he just wants to matter again. He just wants to feel like he did that. He wants to feel important. He wants to be the hero again. And that's completely understandable. It's, it makes sense. I mean, you're living the life. Did I get the movies mixed up? Is number three, the one where he's got all that brain stuff going on? I don't know you guys, if I was wrong, you know, just know. That essentially in one and two, he's thrust into greatness. And in the third one, he actually seeks it out, uh, purposely involves himself in order to feel that rush again, to feel that value again. And, and in part two, he was kind of reluctant. Like he just wanted a regular life. Right. And then in part three, he, he just, he wants to feel what he felt before. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's right and then four and five are the mark Wahlberg ones right i'm feeling like i'm totally off base here but if any of you are transformer fans and you're sitting here completely annoyed with me i apologize point in fact is we come to places in our lives where we question or maybe not all of us but a good chunk of us question our value and our worth and we question whether we matter now i'm going to be blatantly honest there are times when this world works overtime to show you you don't matter. And when you live in that kind of a time, it's very easy for the devil to encourage that train of thought. And when you live a life um, where your value is never fully appreciated um, in this world... The devil is going to just rip you to shreds constantly. And the thing is like, God showed me last year when I was facing essentially ridicule for my beliefs. Um, and that, I, mean, that's like the basis of the oppression and, uh, persecution I experience. So I'm not by any means saying this like, Oh, feel sorry for me. I'm, I'm letting you know. I'm fully aware that the persecution I face is really nothing. It's extremely trivial. People call me names or mock me or whatever. And I mean, that's the essential amount of persecution I face from humankind. Now, the devil's after me full tilt because he hates us. He just hates us all. He even hates you if you're not saved. So don't buy into this lie that he's your best friend and hell's going to be some great party because he hates you. He legitimately hates you. So he's not your friend. But moving on, as I digress, Um, I'm aware that the persecution I face is very trivial. But I I remember when I was sitting there facing that moment that God told me very clearly that I would never be accepted in this world. And I had to come to grips with the fact that, I mean, he even met on the Christian level. He didn't mean just mean like um, unsaved people or anything he meant, um, overall, I just was not going to be accepted and I need to accept that. And it's interesting because a few years ago when I was facing the call that God's placed on my life, he showed me that the reason he gave me that call is because I have a natural rebellious spirit. And if the world tells me that I'm an idiot for believing the way I believe, then I will stand firm and believe it even more. So he said, because he showed me because I, I naturally love to argue and I stand my ground and I may not argue like I used to because God's really taught me how to like, not say what I'm thinking all the time. Um, but I'll still, I'll dig in my, my heels and I, I'll be disagreeing with you on the inside while I'm just sagely nodding and letting you say what you got to say, um, on the outside. But I was thinking today about how the last few months have legitimately been very hard for me. And I'm just going to give a brief explanation about relationships in my life. So anyone that knows me knows that I have a, a good relationship with my mom, that she's my best friend. And if you really look over my life. She's my only friend. And I know that sounds really weird, but it's a hundred percent true. Now I've had some, some friends here and there, but I, my life seems to be the kind of life where they come in for a season and then they leave and they're fine to leave. Um, I'm usually the one devastated by the, the choice to leave a friendship. Um, and they just go on with their life. Some of them go off on with their life angry. Don't, I'm not saying that they, you know, whatever. Um, and some just go on. They don't care at all. Um, I've never seen anybody have regret about walking away from me. And I mean, that's fine. But what you have to realize is what that does to someone when they have to feel like they actually matter to people and realizing they don't. So it's really interesting to live a life where... Everybody else is entitled and allowed. And I don't mean entitled like they're self entitled. I mean, they're entitled and allowed to experience feelings, to be upset, to be broken and certain people just aren't like my brokenness is not okay. Um, I, I have never had a safe place to be broken ever and anytime that I'm upset. My feelings are ignored or they're minimized. Um, but God has given me this ability that people can come to me and just verbally vomit their life on me. And I, I can take it and I can be there and I can be empathetic, even though I don't get that harvest back. So. The thing is, like, if you if you really want to understand empathy, I highly recommend watching Brene Brown's video on YouTube about empathy, because if you really want to understand it, see if you're actually being empathetic toward a person. You can watch that. If you're sitting there and you're judging them in your mind, you're just like, come on, finish. Shut up. No one wants to hear it. Um, You're trying to you're doing the at least statements, um, which are very annoying um, or you're being dismissive. Um, then you're not empathetic. You're just sympathetic and no one needs sympathy. Um, so, I mean, it's just something to think about because we all need to have empathetic people in our lives and they're extremely few and far between. So as I digress, I was thinking about worth and value and I was, I was telling God, like he is really legitimately the only reason I can face another day. And I'm not saying that I'm depressed because I'm not. And I'm not saying that I'm sitting here thinking, blah, blah, blah. My life is horrible. I'm not thinking anything like that. Um, it's just, if I didn't have Jesus in my life, I would have absolutely nothing. Because everything else is temporal. Even relationships, everything is temporal. Everything I I buy, everything I sell, every penny I make, every, everything I do and say is temporal. Eventually it'll fade. And I'm not going to be remembered, you know, years, years from now, when those that know me directly or have been related to me, um, when they get on with their life to the point that I become a vapor and they go, what was her name again? Or even to the point where they're gone, then I'm just gone from here, but I have eternity and that gives me hope and peace and comfort and things that a lot of people that are atheists or agnostics or, uh, any other religion that doesn't believe in eternity or doesn't believe the truth because there's only one truth. Um, they don't have that comfort and, um, I don't know how they face it. I really don't, but we're going to look at Romans five and I'm going to look at it in two different translations. And so, um, I'm gonna start in verse one. Uh, we're going to do verse one and two because the other uh, version i'm going to read is the message because i like the message so uh, we're going to read amplified and message so you can hear it two different ways and maybe it'll uh, feel a little different so we're going to start with verse five and uh i mean chapter five and read verses one and two so this is the amplified and it says, therefore since we are justified acquitted Declared righteous and given a right standing with God through faith, let us grasp the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold and to enjoy peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And through him also we have our access, entrance, introduction by faith into this grace state of God's favor in which we firmly and safely stand and let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. All right. So that was amplified and I'm going to read the message real quick. And it says by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master, Jesus. And that's not all we throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. Out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. I think that, um, many of us forget the fact that we didn't seek Christ out. He sought us out and through his constant pursuit of us, we have responded uh, the Bible tells us that we love him because he first loved us we have done nothing of value we accepted him and then our and then our life had value now I'm not saying that people that aren't saved don't have value that they shouldn't be treated well that they they don't deserve good things because that's a lie of the enemy your your life still has value even if you're not a Christian because God, created life and every life has been created and what you choose to do with your life is on you. It's not on me, it's on you. And I I think that is one of the most important things here. Like God's God opens the door and we walk through or we don't. And many choose to stand on the other side and they don't want to walk through. They don't want to belong to God. They don't want to be accountable. They don't want to change. They don't want to admit that they're in error. Um, but God is standing there on the other side of the door saying, come through, I've opened it. Come stand in my wide fields of grace. Man, I, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in a legalistic church and I, I always questioned my salvation and I never felt good enough. And when, I, when God broke me to deliver me, and put me in a church that taught me love and grace. Like now I feel like I'm not doing enough, but it's not like a guilt feeling. It's like a, I really should be like more worried. Like I really should, but I shouldn't because that's the whole point of salvation. Like I'm secure in that salvation. I may, I may make mistakes. I'm not saying that I just blatantly go on sinning and I'm just like, whatever. I don't care. I'm saved by grace because the Bible also tells us that should we continue to sin so that grace would abound heaven forbid So no, do I sin? Yes. Do I make mistakes? Yes. Am I imperfect, imperfect? Yes. Um, never claimed otherwise, but I have grace. And so I don't feel that condemnation. The Bible tells us that there is no condemnation, condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And that is, is me. And if you're a Christian that's accepted Christ into your heart, that's you. Um, So looking at verses 3 through 5, we're going to look at the Amplified first, of course. Moreover, let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. And endurance, or fortitude, develops maturity of character. Approved faith and tried integrity and character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and and confident hope of eternal salvation. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us for God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hold on one moment. My cats are acting out. Well, it's actually one cat. He likes to like pick on the little cat. I don't know if you call it picking on her, whatever. She's sleeping and he's like, oh, hey, let me mess with you. Um, So I'm sorry about that. Um, so in the message version, it says, there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patient in us, patience in us, and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next and alert expectancies such as this. We've ne- we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. That's a lot. What I love in the message is how it says, passionate patience. That's so weird. Because if you think about, I, I, kinda, I like the message because he'll do that. Like Eugene Pat- Patterson, Peterson, will take words as Peterson Will take words and he will put two words together that are so contrary. You're like, how in the world does that work? Um, another one of my favorites is when he says, "Quintessentially feminine." Quintessentially feminine. That means everything womanly. I love that. Anyway, moving on. Um, passionate patience. So Hollywood would tell us, passionate me is like you know that's what causes affairs, right? Like, oh, we just, it was so passionate and we just couldn't stop and blah, 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 blah. But to look at that and put the word passionate with patience, I mean, that's that's amazing to me. I had a vision once, and I think I've shared this before, where God showed me that my patience was essentially a mustard seed. My faith was ginormous. My patience, not so much. Passionate patience. What does that mean? I don't even know because I haven't done a word study on it to find out, but um, I envision it to mean like, like your patience doesn't need kindling. Like, you know how sometimes you have to be revved up for something? I believe that passionate patience doesn't need revving. It doesn't need reminding. It just exists because we trust that God is worth trusting and waiting on. It says that that patient is, uh, he says, forges the tempered steel of virtue. And um, in the Amplified, it says that um, unswerving endurance and then integrity, tried integ- integrity, approved faith, Maturity of character, virtue, vice or virtue. What do you have? I had, I have like a monologue I love. Maybe I'll look for it and I'll read it to you. I don't remember where it's from. I know it's bad. I think, hmm, I wanted to say it was from A Christmas Carol, but I'm, I think I'm wrong, but it might be a Dickens thing, but I'll look it up. But I, I, I memorized it and, and performed it in high school, and it, it's about vices. And the, the guy is deciding whether to still keep a wallet he found or return it. And he was like, Ugh, I just have one vice at a time. Um, virtue. Like, that's a word you don't even hear anymore. Like, who has virtue? Young ladies will cringe. Even older women will cringe at the thought of virtue, at the thought of, um, oh, my goodness, I can't think of the word but like when you dress appropriately, modesty. There it is. I'm like, what is? It? I mean, if you look at Christians today, many don't dress modestly. You can see cleavage in I mean on like most of the women in church, whatever, and they aren't ashamed of it. And a lot of women will be like, well, it's men's fault for looking, but we have our role to play as well. And as much as we want to pawn things off because we want to do what we want to do, virtue, purity, modesty, uh, these are things that I have a passion for. Um, even though I don't have patience. (laughs) Um, and then it says, you know, keeping us alert about what God's going to do next. And that's talking about like in the amplified, it's talking about, um, Joyful and confident hope. Um, But I love how the Amplified says, Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames. For God's love has been poured out in our hearts through Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. I'm just going to say, the Amplified does say the Holy Spirit. I'm one of these people that I don't like to say the in front of Holy Spirit. If I'm just reading, I will. However, if I'm speaking... It's very rare that I do that. And if I do, it's accidental because Holy Spirit is his name. And I don't say the Beverly, the Beth, the Jane. I say Jane, Beth, Beverly. So Holy Spirit, you know, just just me. I will say the Holy Ghost uh, or the Spirit. But when I say Holy Spirit, it's, it's just Holy Spirit. Um, and then the message, it says, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through holy spirit um makes me think of elijah and the widow elijah or elisha i don't remember which one it is eh, i think it's elisha um but how she didn't have enough oil and the debtors were coming and they were going to take her sons and he's like oh go to your neighbors and borrow as many pots as you can and the last little bit of oil filled all the pots. I mean, my goodness. Think about that. These are the things right here. I'm going to tell you, I have not been faithful in reading my word of God. Since I came to China, I have not been faithful even before China. Cause I was so busy trying to get my social work degree. I was working two jobs. Well, I was working. No, no, I was working two jobs and doing my internship. I don't know. I was doing a lot of stuff, going to school full time, all this craziness that I got to try to stop doing. And, um, um, But I had, I had invested before I need to get, I want to start a Bible in your plan. It's already the 14th of January. I'm really behind. Um, I had invested in that before reading my Bible in a year and I've, I've read the Bible completely through cover to cover, maybe two times. I know that's like two times, but I've read the Bible way more than that. But I'm talking about like front to back cover to cover Bible in a year. Didn't miss, didn't skip over Chronicles, nothing read the whole thing. Uh, probably twice. The amazing thing to me is, and I'm sorry, I have to drink water. My, my throat is so dry. I'm sorry if you can hear it and I'm, I try not to make the sound, but can't help it. Um, what is amazing to me is that God actually does. Like if you really are reading his word, he'll store it into your heart. Like as I'm talking to you now, none of these scriptures that are coming to me that I'm mentioning in reference to what I'm talking about were things I looked up before I started this. Holy Spirit pulls him out and says, "Oh yeah, I remember this." And then there's this. And oh. So, back on point. Elisha with the the oil. I'm pretty sure it's Elisha and the widow, and they filled every single and the oil did not stop flowing till the last vessel was filled. How many vessels are we going to put out for God? Just one and be like, "Here you go. I'm guilty of that." I'm like, "This is good enough, God, fill this." When I could fill my room with vessels and And I'm, I'm going to hold on one. Okay. I could fill my room with vessels and just let the Lord pour it out. I'm sorry. I have to yell at my cat. And so in order to do that, I need to stop this and start a different segment. So that's what we're going to do. Oh, I didn't have to start a different segment. I was able to yell at the cat. She was messing with my turtles. I'm sorry guys. It's like midnight here or almost one in the morning and my cats being nocturnal animals that they are, are just being their little rambunctious selves. Um, but anyway, yeah, I could just fill my room with vessels and I could just have God pour out his spirit. And that's what we should do as believers. We should just pour out, um, fill the room with vessels to allow God to pour whatever he needs to pour. Um, okay. I just want to say, I like legitimately thought I should just re-record this, but as Holy Spirit has been inspiring a lot of my responses, I don't think that's fair. So I'm sorry about having to pause it and all the awkwardness, but let's move on. So we're going to look at verses 6 through 8 now. So the uh, Amplified Version says, While we were yet in weakness, powerless to help ourselves at the fitting time Christ died for in behalf of the ungodly, now it is an extraordinary thing for one to give his life even for an upright man, though perhaps for a noble and lovable and generous benefactor someone might even dare to die. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that While we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for us. So, uh, the message says, Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. So this is, is, I mean, just common knowledge for any believer is that Christ died for me before I accepted him, which is pretty obvious since I was not alive when Jesus laid down his life on the cross and rose again. Um, but he knew he knew that I would exist, obviously, and that I would accept him. Obviously. He also knew people would choose to reject him, obviously. But like it says here, he arrives right on time. He doesn't wait for us. He does what he has to do what is necessary and then we respond. And I like how the message says that we were of no use what's whatever to him. We were we had no value outside of the fact that he loves us. Think about that. Just think about that. I want you to think about somebody that you just can't stand. And how like you I'm not going to I'm not going to say hate because Jesus definitely does not hate any of us. Um, but just someone that, I mean, Jesus doesn't even do this, but you just could care less. You could care less if they, uh, if you ever saw them again, you could just care less. And think about if you made the decision just randomly to be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send that person a thousand dollars just because, just because I can. And you do it. You don't expect anything in return for it. You just do it. Jesus laid down his life knowing that some of us would refuse him, knowing that some of us would be these bad Christians like I am. Um, he would, he still did. He still chose to lay down his life. Even though, I mean, even think about this. Like, what are we giving him? Nothing. We're just giving him our love. That's it. And when you think about this world, like how... Like for instance for me like that means nothing to nobody they don't care if i love them they don't care if i like them it means absolutely nothing to anybody but to god that's everything my love my choice to love him and to obey him is everything absolutely everything so we look at verses 9 through 11 in the amplified it says therefore Since we are now justified, acquitted, made righteous, and brought into right relationship with God by Christ's blood, how much more certain is it that we shall be saved by him from the indignation and wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, it is much more certain now that we are reconciled, that we shall be saved, daily delivered from sin's dominion through his resurrection life. Not only so, but we also rejoice and exultingly glory in God and in his love and perfection through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received and enjoy our reconciliation. Okay, so the message says, now that we are set right with God by means of the sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If we were at our worst... If, when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son. Now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plotting prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah." So. we see that we are justified and I, one of my favorite, there's a song and one of my favorite ways of, of saying that is there's a song that said justified, just as if I'd never sinned at all. There's a song that says, I know there's a, that people say it, but there's a song makes it catchy. Justified, just as if I had never sinned at all. I wish I could find that song, but anyway, moving on. I'm not a singer. Um, we see that we've been made right with God and we've been reconciled and all of that rebellion and the darkness in our lives is gone. Like we don't have any more guilt or shame. We've been made right. Like it never happened. Like our rebellion and our sin and all of that never happened. Um, So if we look at verses 12 through 14, we see in the Amplified, it says, Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man and death as a result of sin, so death spread to all men, no one being able to stop it or to escape its power because all men sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before ever the law was given, but sin is not charged to men's account where there is no law to transgress. Sorry, Yet death held sway from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who did not themselves transgress, a positive command as Adam did. Adam was a type prefigure of the one who was to come, in reverse, the former destructive, the latter saving. So the message says, you know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in, first sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and everything and everyone, but the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam who got us into this also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. What I find interesting about this, and I've I've thought about this for a long time, and I might briefly touch on it when I talk about the women in the Bible. Um, They don't blame Eve. Do you see that? Like, God is not saying it was Eve's fault. Yet, that's what we do in our lives. It's always Eve's fault. Stinkin' Eve ate the apple. Well, Eve did eat the apple. I'm not saying nothing there. Eve was deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. That's the difference. Um, But, moving on. But, you know. Adam landed us in this dilemma. So stop blaming the women, men, rise up, take responsibility for you. But anyway, that's just, that's for free. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So let's keep moving on. Cause this is quite a big portion of scripture and I still want to look at something else. Um, so 15 through 17 and the amplified says, but God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. For if many died through one man's falling away, his lapse, his offense, much more profusely did God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of the man Jesus Christ abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. Nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin. For the sentence following the trespass of one man brought condemnation, whereas the free gift following many transgressions brings justification an act of righteousness for if because of one man's trespass lapse offense death reigned through that one much more surely will those who receive god's overflowing grace unmerited favor and the gift of righteousness putting them into right standing with himself reign as kings in life through the one man jesus christ the messiah and anointed one all right so that's eight what 15 through 17 Alright, so in the message it says, Yet, the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured out through one man Jesus Christ will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Sovereign life and those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides. I don't even need to say anything about that, but the two things I will point out is I love how Amplified calls grace what it is, unmerited favor. That's what God's grace is. It's unmerited favor. And in the message, I just love how he says, If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, and those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides? It's beautiful. Here's the thing, most people, okay, you've heard the, the phrase, fight fire with fire, and you've heard the phrase, two wrongs don't make a right, but most people use either of those in their life. When they get upset, they react poorly, they react wrongly, and they make matters worse, but they will continue to insist that the other person caused the problem. And you look at fighting fire with fire, it just ends up with everybody getting burned. And I was thinking about, you know, the saying, an eye for an eye, a life for a life, leaves the entire world blind and everybody dead because essentially that's what it does. Now, something God showed me a long time ago is if I don't have something nice to say, just shut your mouth. If I am upset and angry, take some time to process it. Take some time to to think before you react or you do something or you say something, but that's not the norm of this world. Now I've failed with that miserably many times here in China. Um, because I've been reactory to things that have happened that are out of my control. And that has primarily been a work thing because I feel like things are said and then the opposite happens. And usually that occurs when I'm dealing with something else. And so my, you know, walls are down and I just blah all over the place. But I'm trying to be aware of that and stop because that's not professional, first of all. And second of all, while my feelings can be warranted and my frustrations should, you know, be allowed to be expressed, there is a healthy way to do it and an unhealthy way. Many times I'm choosing unhealthy. So just think about things in your life, confrontations you've had, you know, discussions you've had, whatever, and things you've said and think to yourself like, could I have been fine not saying that? Probably. Could I have been fine not doing certain things, not reacting the way I did? Probably. So in the future, just don't do it, <laughs> change differently. I think one of the biggest things God taught me was to stop inserting my foot in my mouth. Like I said, I love to argue. I am a huge person about debate and discussion. I love to talk. That's why I have this podcast. But one of the big things God taught me was just shut your mouth, shut your mouth. You don't have to get the last word and you don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to prove that you're right. You don't have to argue. You don't have to call people out on things, you know, I mean, there was a time and I'm going to digress for just a second, but I had a younger friend and I'm sure I've talked about this before and she was a horrible flirt. Like she would flirt with guys constantly. And I'm just like, dude, dial it back. And one day she wanted to call me out, me and the other, and other people out on watching TV because she didn't watch TV. So she was able to just be like, I don't understand why you guys cannot stop watching TV. I don't understand why TV is such a thing, blah, 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 blah. And she's going off and I'm sitting there, I'm driving the car and I'm like, oh, the things I would tell you because I so badly wanted to put her in her place. Why? Because first of all, she was attacking me with her opinion. TV can be a time sucker. TV can definitely be damaging. I'm not discrediting that at all. But there's a better way to address it than to sit there going off in a pompous, arrogant way about you being right and everybody else being wrong. And I wanted so badly to just call her out on her flirting and be like, yeah, well, I don't understand why people can't stop flirting. Like, why do you have to flirt with everything that moves? Well, not everything. because She wasn't that kind of person. But, you know, I would have been exaggerating like that because that's what we do in our in our anger and our irritation. And I, I was able to God was like, no, nope. You just need to see. And that's what I said earlier, right? Like God makes it so that I just have to take it all. And then, and I just, if I express anything I'm stinking out of line. And what I say don't matter. Doesn't matter. Don't matter. That was not proper English. But anyway, God was like, no, just keep it. Keep it in. I'll handle it. I'll handle it. I'm not lying to you. Literally, like he handled it like. Like two days later, like it wasn't even like a delay. It wasn't like, he's like, oh, I'll handle it. And like a year later, she's like, oh no, like he legitimately dealt with it like two days later. Cause she came to me and she's like, you know what God showed me? He showed me that I'm a flirt and that I'm flirting with all these guys. And she said it like very, like the way God talks to us very graciously. And I'm like, wow. When she was talking to me, I'm like, wow, God, you handled that way better than I was going to handle that. And I think that's the point. I, I trust that God will handle things. And when things just don't work out, I'm like, hmm, well, at least I didn't say anything I regret, right? At least I didn't, I didn't do anything I regret. I mean, sometimes I, I may do something I regret, but I'm really, God has really drilled home for me the keep your mouth shut thing. Like I said, as much as I love to argue, as much as I'd like to tell someone they're wrong, whether that's my opinion or actually true. um, I just, I don't anymore because it's not my place to do that. Unless God tells me, you know, you need to say blah, 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 blah. But then it's going to be exactly what God wants to say, not what I want to say. Feelings will warp your mind and warp your speech and make you say things that you cannot take back and make you do things you cannot undo. And I mean, that's something you just, you know, You learn as you get older or you don't because I know full blown older people than me that will still damage you with their words and damage you with their actions. And you're like, really, was that necessary? No. Um, I'm almost done with this part. So, uh, 18 and 19 in the amplified says, well, then as one man's trespass, one man's false step and falling away, led to condemnation for all men. So one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal and right standing with God and life for all men. For just as by one one man's disobedience, failing to hear heedlessness and carelessness, the many were constituted sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be constituted righteous, made acceptable to God, brought into right standing with him. Alright, so uh, the message says here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. And one man said yes and put many in the right. Once again, I don't really need to say anything on that. And I'm definitely not going to, cause I digressed big time last time. Um, basically one man screwed it up for us and Jesus fixed it. And so 20 and 21 in the amplified says, but then law came in only to expand and increase the trespass, making it more apparent and exciting opposition. But where sin increased in abounded grace, God's unmerited favor has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded, so that just as sin has reigned in death, so grace, his unearned and deserved favor might reign also through righteousness, right, standing with God, which issues in eternal life through Lord Jesus, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, our Lord, and the message says. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, a world without end. I am only saved because of the grace of God. I am only a Christian because of the grace of God. I can only face a new day because of the grace of God. And as I said, I can only face life, um, (laughs) the way the world wants, the world wants to treat me and the way people want to treat me. I can only face all that with, um the grace of God. And in truth, I can admit that I, I'm not perfect. And I may do things. I may handle a situation poorly. I mean, I may you know, respond inappropriately and it is through his grace that I'm able to continue living my life and try to do things differently next time. But I just want to close this up with Romans eight. Um, and just not the full thing. I love the book of Romans. If you want to take some time, I, I highly recommend you read Romans. It's really good Romans 12 is my favorite. It always will be, but, um, I want to read Romans eight, one, um, one and two. And then I want to read trying to see, I'm believing it's Romans eight. Let me get to the bottom here. Yes. And then I want to read, um, 31 through 39. Yes. Perfect. Okay. I had to look because like I said, the message lumps scriptures together. And if I picked a verse where it was in the middle, it's hard to separate it. But anyway, here we go. So Romans 8, 1 and 2 in the Amplified says, therefore, there is now no condemnation, no a judge, adju, adju, a wait, I'm having a really hard time because it's early in the morning. Give me a second. Let me start that again because I totally just, stumbled over that. Okay. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no adjudging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus, who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the dictates of the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being has freed me from the law of sin and of death. If you guys have never read Amplified, there are like brackets and parentheses and italics everywhere. So sometimes it's just plays with your brain. All right. And so the message verses one and two says with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud, a new power is in operation, the spirit of life in Christ. Like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. So um, I'm going to just read part of three and four according to the message. I don't know if it's three or four. Um, I think it's three. But I just like this first sentence in the message. It says, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. God wasn't messing around. He wasn't like, let me try this. Oh, wait, let me try this. Oh, maybe this will work. Nope. He was like, here's what we're going to do. And it's going to, and he knew that from the beginning. Bible tells us that too, that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world were set. Like God already knew we were going to be stupid. God already knew we were going to rebel and be sinful. And God already knew Jesus was going to have to lay down his life. And Jesus knew it too, because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. So Jesus is the word. Jesus was always there. Jesus already knew from the beginning what he was going to have to do to save the creation that was so ungrateful. But anyway, looking at it, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is just what we need to cling to. Because we're all going to make mistakes. That's what our life is. We're human. And Jesus knows that. That's why he has to tell us that there's no condemnation for those in, in Christ. And once again, not. that's not a license to sin. That's not an excuse. You just do whatever you want. You have to, I mean, you have to repent and you have to, you have to change. It's just, don't be condemned. Don't be under that weight. Ever since that weight lifted for me, I got to tell you, I was praying in church and I literally felt it lift. That weight has never been back. I have felt guilt for my sin and I have repented for sin. And I, I'm not saying like I just sin and I don't feel anything cause I do, but the weight is gone. Like I have never felt that weight again. Ever. And it it's mind-boggling. If you're still carrying that weight around, just ask God to lift it. I don't even know if that's what I was praying. I literally felt like I could float. It just it was just gone. And I don't know why why God decided that moment to remove it from me, but it was powerful. And it's never come back. Ever. Like I said, I, I repent, I feel guilt, I feel shame when I sin. I'm not by anything like, Oh, I don't even think about it. It's just the weight is gone. It's so hard to explain. I I really pray that all of you Christians have experienced that because it's once it's gone, like it's gone, I can still fall on my face and weep. I can still praise and and lift my hands and rejoice and know that I'm redeemed and saved. It's just the weight of the weight of my sin is gone. I can't express it. Um, anyway, moving on. (laughs) That was for free that was not planned. Um, so 31 to 39 in the in the amplified first what then shall we say to all this if god is for us who can be against us who can be our foe if god is on our side he who did not withhold or spare even his own son but gave him up for us all will he not also with him freely and graciously give us all other things who shall bring any charge against god's elect when it is god who justifies that is who puts us in right relation to himself Who shall come forward and accuse or impeach those whom God has chosen? Will God, who acquits us? Who is there to condemn us? Will Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who died, or rather, who was raised from the dead? Who is at the right hand of God, actually pleading as he intercedes for us? Who shall ever separate us from Christ's love? Shall suffering and affliction and tribulation, or calamity and distress, or persecution, or hunger, or destitution, or peril, or sword? Even as it is written... For thy sake we are put to death all the day long. We are regarded and counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet amid all these things we are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. For I am persuaded beyond doubt, am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels nor principalities, nor things impending and threatening, nor things to come, nor powers nor nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the most, that's one of my favorite verses. So in the message it says, so what do we, what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get get between us and God's love. Because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. So, just know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can come between your lo- his love for you and you. And he is very zealous and jealous in that love. So if anybody tries, he takes care of it. And it may not seem like it. You may not see it. And especially in this world where we're just discounted and cast aside like we don't matter. But we do matter. And Jesus shows us that we matter. It's like, it's like the Bible says. That we are shown his love in the fact that he chose to die for us when we did not love him. When we were not him. When we were still sinners. or when we're not with him. When we had not chosen him. When we were still sinners. Yet Christ died. Nothing, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus our master has embraced us. It's all because of him and his love. And nothing, absolutely nothing can get between us and his love. Nothing can separate us. I'm gonna read that one more time before I end this segment because I really want you to think about it. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus our master has embraced us. Cling to the thinkable or unthinkable, Things you can think can happen and things you can't even consider or imagine happening. Nothing can come between you and His love. And His love is strong. If you read Song of Solomon, it talks about how strong love is. It's amazing to consider that that love from Jesus Christ is poured out on us and that nothing can separate us from that love. Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you saved? Are you a Christian? All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Master and Savior. Let me, every day from this moment forward, live my life for you. It's that simple. We act like it's complicated. It's not. And living for Him is not this drudgery. It's not a horrible, restrictive lifestyle. I'm living in China, for crying out loud. I'm living for China, teaching kids English. You know? It's not this horrible... Beat yourself up every day. Feel the burden. Like I said, that burden of sin is gone. And it's been gone for years. Like over 10 years. Maybe even 15 years. I don't even remember when he took it. But it's gone. Don't you want to live that way? Accept Jesus Christ into your heart. Because nothing can separate you from his love. That's a good feeling to know. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm going to put the vice segment before this segment. So... Um, there's just going to be advertisements after this, but if you want to send me a line at htal.podcast at gmail.com and I will take a listen. Thanks. It's Julie with Hef Sabah Talks a Lot. I'm just gonna take one second, okay, maybe a little longer, to talk to you about writing.com. Now, I'm not doing this for any money or anything, I'm just letting you know about a great supportive community that I think it would be great for you to join. Writing.com has been around for a long time. They actually started out as stories.com, and I stumbled on them when I was a lot younger and joined. And eventually they got too big for that domain and became writing.com in order to encompass more than just storytelling. This website is amazing. It is a community of writers and readers. So if you're not a writer, but you love to read, join writing.com. If you don't really read a lot because you're so busy, but you love to write, join writing.com. If you're a little bit of both, join writing.com it's an amazing community now you can get a free account and then they have paid memberships i currently just do the second tier the upgraded membership and it allows me to have more items in my portfolio i love to pay to have a membership because i love to support writing.com that's the main reason that i pay to keep my membership up- updated and current But I just wanted to have an advertisement about writing.com. Once again, not for any monetary gain. It's not even an official one. Uh, They won't even know I'm doing it. But I just want to encourage people to go and join writing.com. It is truly a place that has helped me develop as a writer. It has helped me be encouraged. And I have met people there that have been my friends through the distance online and have supported me and offered me advice with my writing and has been, have been there with me or for me as I've made these transitions to China and other locations so once again writing.com w-r-i-t-i-n-g dot com join today